as a sexologist, I call everything sex. Not I could I just say that's penetration, P and the V. You know, that you're being sexual and that you don't have to have an orgasm. And obviously, if you want an orgasm and you're faking it, I think the best way to get one is to be able to talk about it, to see what you need. You can tell your lover what you might need to get there. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Rate Active Podcast. We're bringing you insightful conversations to inspire your wellness for your body and mind. Make sure you hit subscribe so that you get the latest episodes as soon as they are released. I'm your host, Rachel J, and I'm so excited to welcome my guest to the show today. She is a leading Australian sexologist and relationship expert. Welcome to the show, Naomi Hutchings. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for lovely. <laughs> That's a lovely introduction. Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> I'm so glad to have you on, and I'm so excited that we finally get this chat because we did, like we were saying before, we had sort of tried to do this a few times, but now we're here. Here so we I'm are. Very excited. Yes. I know that sex and intimacy relationships, they're really big topics and often they're not spoken about very openly and definitely not to the depth that you, I would imagine, get into with your clients. So I'm, I'm really excited to get stuck into this a little bit more and, and unpack these things with you. Yeah. Now, firstly... Becoming a sexologist. I don't imagine that that's something that's very <laughs> common. So uh-uh. tell me about your experiences that maybe led you to becoming a sexologist or was there something that, anything specifically that sort of sparked you to move into this particular direction? I, I definitely didn't know that such a thing existed, uh, mm. but I think what uh, probably got me thinking about it was I had an unplanned pregnancy when I was 16 and a half. So I had a baby at 17 and I realised right back then that I had certainly been given quite an inadequate or pr- pretty much no, not great sex education back then. And I think I, at that time, so that was a long time ago, I then left school and I went back to uni as back then I was called a mature age student and I was 21. That's how oh, I had wow. to get, yeah, I had to sit a test to get back in. I think things are different now. Anyway, when I got back in, I was doing an undergrad and I studied uh, like um, back then it was called women's studies. I think now they call it gender studies. But I was looking a lot at teen pregnancies and things like that and what was behind that and got very interested in that what I definitely considered was inadequate, like like we don't have comprehensive sex ed. It's all different and, you know, different states give different stuff. So that's probably uh, part of it. And then I just started doing like volunteer work with young people and realised that the sex conversations and relationship stuff kept coming up and I was kind of very, very passionate about it. So I was just looking. I was in Adelaide, did training, found some stuff. And in the end, that training course I did, I ended up running, like facilitating that training myself. But I did a lot of stuff, became like what they would call a community sex educator at a sexual health clinic in Adelaide. And then I found out they did degrees. And so there was two in Adelaide, uh, sorry, two in Australia. So right now, if anyone's listening, there are two in Australia uh, that you can do. And also you can do some overseas too. Uh, but it was Curtin University and University of New South Wales. At the time, I could only do New South Wales because they, at the time, Curtin wouldn't allow remote. So that's mm. why I did New South Wales. I just had to go there for a um, sex counselling prep. But um, yeah, so I did a master's while I was already working in the field. So I've probably been in the sexuality, sex education field for probably last time I counted was 19 years. Wow. So I've kind of come along. Yeah, I taught like at university in Adelaide, a sexuality course and things like that. So I'm doing, now I just pretty much do 
one on this kind of couples or throuples or uh, solo folks. Uh, mostly I do that all podcasts and radio. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's such a wide range of things that you have done throughout your career. So oh. I feel like mm-hmm. your wealth of knowledge is, is I'm excited to kind of get stuck into all of this yeah. stuff. Yeah. So I feel like I've definitely heard that mm-hmm. there are many differing opinions about sex and relationships and there's relationships where couples are having sex all the time there's couples that hardly ever have sex and you often hear about sexless marriages and things yeah. like that yes and then obviously you know we we have a a better open discourse about different setups with people with their relationships. So it's not just monogamous and heterosexual relationships. Yeah, we're definitely getting a much more conversation around that for sure. I I feel like, I mean, that's such a broad topic to talk about relationships and sex. So perhaps we can, let's talk through it and then see how how we can go because I feel like it's it's just such a a big range of, of different ways that people set up their relationships. So what are the most common setups of relationships of people that may come to see you mm, in mm. clinic in practice? So probably I would say the most common I see, so I, I see obviously I think my youngest client has been six years old uh, with a family member with them and then my oldest were 89 and 90 that had been sent by um, some carers uh, at their uh, old folks' home. I, hate, I don't know what that the, the the place they stay. I hate calling yes. it old folks. Home. Anyway, <laughs> they, uh, so that was my sort of range, right? But basically wow. I, I suppose... On average, the most common presentation I see is a heterosexual couple, cisgender woman, cisgender man. That is, and monogamous is most common. Yes. But of course, I, and I will say most definitely the last few years, I have just, yeah, I've even changed some of the sort of booking stuff, um, language in my booking stuff, because basically, yeah, like I, I'm seeing quads not as much, but mm, throuples. Wow. And so, you know, like, and it's always now I'm online fully now. So doing that in Zoom, I'm like like a tennis coach. I'm like moving around. But yeah, <laughs> probably that's the most common, but I but I definitely see, you know, two women, two men, trans folks. Like that. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a whole range. And a woman is the yeah. most common. That just yeah. makes sense because that's statistically the most common uh, appearance of relationships, although we know that that's not everyone. But yeah, most common. Yeah. So let's go into these questions about sex and and you can answer them. Mm. We'll kind of preface this by saying we probably will be predominantly referring to monogamous hetero relationships, but I mean, it's probably applicable to all different setups as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. so how often should couples be having sex to maintain a healthy sex life? <laughs> that is a great question, but I don't always <laughs> think it's the right question, okay? Mm. So what I say to people is, and that's, again, everyone, lots of people ask me that, yeah. and I will always throw back and say, what do you think? What feels good for you? Because this is the thing, like if you are a, in a relationship and we'll say whether, just for now we'll say there's just two people in a relationship, um, you know, one of you wants sex every day and, and and feels like sex every day and feels like that would be a good number or just feels right whether you say number or not and then someone else doesn't, you know, you're going to have to negotiate that because nobody gets the right to make somebody else um, have sex, right? So I, I always say that's not helpful. It's like what would you like? And I always say think a bit realistically about your life right now, not fantasy. I mean realistically in your life how is this going to work? And then come up with um, something that works for both of you. And, again, that doesn't have to be locked in. 
you get to, mm. you know, shift the goalposts or whatever. So that's why I won't say that, even though I definitely see people, so-called relationship people, spouting that out everywhere, saying, oh, you better have it three times or it's over. No, that if you are happy with sex once a year on your birthday or something, and so is your partner if you've got a partner, like then so, who cares? Don't worry about what everyone else is doing. So I, I don't usually talk about numbers unless I'm trying to go, what's your ideal, what's your ideal, let's get to the middle number. Um, yes. But, yeah, no, what it, whatever works for you. So it's finding out, and it's also I think there you're talking about having a conversation mm-hmm. about it, open communication sure. around it, but then – it sounds to me that there needs to be some level of self-awareness as to how much you actually want to do it as opposed to what you think you should Good want point. or should have, right? So yes. you need to understand your your own sexual needs uh, to be able to communicate yeah. that to your partner. Uh, that is a great point. And also that sometimes the should, that flies around that word in my sessions a lot. And I think a lot of that is depending on culture, where you live, the time in history, your gender and all of that stuff. Because sometimes, yeah, there are, I know there are a lot of cisgender women that I work with, um, whether they're lesbian, get, like straight, whatever, who think they should be having a lot more sex. And quite often they're, they're, they're comparing it to their partner who, if it is a cisgender man, a straight straight man, they're like trying to be like that, which I find interesting as if that's the right answer rather than, mm. no, wait a minute, where are you at? Where is this person at? So the shoulds are very unhelpful, but, you know, and, and don't, do, I think they do us a lot of harm. Yeah, take the shoulds out of it and just make, and, and kind of reflect yeah. on it yourself in a way. Yeah, 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 yeah. So one of the things I definitely have heard you talk about is, so if we're talking about two people in a relationship and there are differing levels of sex drive or libido. And so that's not just about a needs thing, I guess, in terms of I, I need to have sex, but that want and desire to do mm, it. And that's mm. that may be more biological in some ways too, rather than just psychological. So what do you do about that if that's the case? Yeah. Uh, look, that's a Probably the, the, one of the most common things I talk about as well is that, um, uh, and again, what I do is end up sitting there and working through with people, have they heard of something called responsive arousal and talking about spontaneous arousal, which is just language that has come out of a book called Come As You Are by Emily Nagotsky, who is a sex researcher, but we have known this for a long time. That's just her language, but people who've been in this field, we know that no, not everybody is spontaneously aroused. And of course, it feels that way at the beginning of a relationship if you're having new relationship energy, but that's very different than real life. Once you come up for air and breathe and have to go see your friends again and do that, you can't have sex all day if that's how you started your relationship. Um, So what actually happens is, and in most long-term, particularly monogamous relationships, people will have responsive arousal. That is how they'll end up having sex, which means they make a decision. They might not even be horny. Mm. They make a decision, perhaps the a uh, sp- more spontaneous partner does initiate and they decide. They go, okay, yeah, let's have sex. And then they do the thing that gets them horny and then their desire happens. So it's actually yeah. the other way. It happens the other way around. The mm-hmm. desire comes mm-hmm. after yes, the decision. once you're horny. Yeah. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think this is so fascinating. And then just touching on there with the initiation, I definitely feel like this could be a topic as well within oh, yeah. couples mm-hmm. of – Almost like, and I've definitely heard it within peer circles and things like that of, you know, people complaining that their partner doesn't initiate yes, and all yes, that kind of stuff. Yes. So there's like this back and forth about 
who's initiating more and you don't ever initiate. And then that feeling of rejection if you yeah. do initiate and you get turned down. So uh-huh, uh-huh. what is your suggestions around that? <laughs> I definitely <laughs> say let's get really explicit because people will say things to me like, oh, I did, I had my red undies on. Like, and I'm like, did you know that red undies meant that that was sex time? But no, <laughs> or someone will say, I did, I was kind of doing this and I was doing that. And I'm like, did you know? People are often in their own heads. They're not even thinking about that. So what I usually say is get really explicit and then people will push back at me and say but I want it to be natural and I'm saying that in air quotation because I'm like what the hell does that even mean again more unrealistic expectations and it's like no actually um I think if you be explicit and clear in what you want to do no beating around the bush (laughs) be clear like I would like to have sex or excuse me but I'd like to fuck you or whatever you say so they know what you're saying yeah. And then you get that, then you also be clear in do you want to or not and work through that. And only the person who's been asked to have sex, right, ha- then gets to decide if they want to or not. The other person might really hope they want to, but you don't get to do that. You have yeah. to let that person make their decision and see where they're at. Yeah. Oh, I like that so much. And then, and just talking about there, you brought up a little term, sexpectations. I think yeah, that's a really I love important. That word. That's a great <laughs> word. Just to understand that there might they may be unrealistic sexpectations. Totally. Totally. In They're not helpful. We need to like. Um, it's great to have expectations in some way, but they need to be realistic and also based on truth, which they're not. Like that model that we've been fed about sex is that, yeah, we get horny and you want sex and that's how it happens. Actually, no. Oh, I will say that folks with penises tend to experience that a little bit more. We know that <laughs> statistically, um, yes. but that's not always how it is. So re- we need to be really aware of that. I wish I could shout that from the rooftops that that's not the case. Be mindful of that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's another question here that we're talking about. I mean, obviously we're talking about sex, but about orgasm specifically and mm-hmm. faking it. And I know oh. that <laughs> I know that women uh, mm. or maybe yeah, women, I would say, that I know, I'll, I'll speak from personal experience in talking to women, Yeah, do this from time to time. And, yes, yes. And oftentimes, <laughs> if you're in a hetero relationship, the men don't usually know that you do mm-hmm. it, right? No, that's right, not but always. But is it, is it detrimental to <laughs> fake an orgasm? Look, um, I always recommend not doing it because I feel like the more you uh, are open about the fact that sometimes you may not want to come, you just can't come or whatever and make that just a thing and be okay and say so that your lover knows it's okay, I I don't want to, I think that's helpful too, right, so that it's not there, this expectation to come, which sometimes folks with penises don't understand that someone might not, um, but also Mm. that just sometimes you can't get there. So I think... It is great to be able to be, I encourage people to not fake, but I also know that sometimes people do it for certain reasons. They just like, I can't be asked doing this. Like I'm just going <laughs> to pretend and get this yes. over with. So I'm not telling you off. I'm just saying I highly recommend not doing it. So your partner, your lover, whatever, gets used to it. It's okay. And even if they don't want to come either, you know, like mm. that sex can just be about the connection of nakedness or whatever it is, um, being sexual. Because as a sexologist, I call everything sex, not... I could I just say that's penetration, P and the V, you know, that you're being sexual and that you don't have to have an orgasm. And obviously, if you want an orgasm and you're faking it, I think the best way to get one is to be able to talk about it, to see what you need. You can tell your lover what you might need to get there. Yeah, other than faking it when they think that you've actually finished, but but you haven't. And so when you actually want to, then they kind of think they're already doing what you want, right? Uh-huh, exactly. Gotcha. All right, that's really great advice. I don't think I've ever heard that question asked ever. 
I've, I've never talk, talk, talked about um, faking uh-huh. orgasms. Yeah. yeah. So talking about being adventurous and opening up in our sex life and maybe introducing other things into our sex lives like toys or, you know, some couples like to watch porn or whatever things that people might want to add. And I think it's commonly referred to as, you know, spicing things up. <laughs> yes. What if one partner is really open to exploring new things and the other is not? And and essentially these two people have almost different sex languages, I guess. Absolutely, yeah, right? that's, that's a thing. Mm. Mm. So what do we do in that regard? Look, I mean, if you're in a, particularly if you're in a monogamous relationship, this can get quite troubling and people will often come to me feeling very squished and sad about their sexuality. They feel like it's squished down. They say, I was really sexual until I went with this partner and they're a bit more, they'll use the word conservative or not as adventurous, whatever. And so it is difficult because it's that thing of like, if you're in a, particularly if you're in a monogamous relationship, because if you're in any kind of non-monogamous relationship, you have options so that if you've got one lover who only likes to have sex a certain way, cool, you're happy with that. And then if you want to do some other things you can go outside that or if you're monogamous though the only way you can do that really is to fantasize watch some porn with that particular thing you like or whatever or just go without right mm. and for a lot of people that's that they're not happy about that you know some people are like cool uh, this relationship is so good, I don't care. Um, but for other people, it's massive. Like their sexuality is just vital part of their life. And I suppose you've got to kind of work through that. The partner who doesn't want to be, and again, I'm going to say air quotes adventurous, what does that even mean? It's subjective, mm. right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, I will say, think about that. Because, you know, uh, is like have a little bit of curiosity about yourself. Is it like, oh, my partner, I don't know, I'll just bring something up. So uh, my partner wants me to give him a blowjob, I don't like it. And sometimes I'll say, cool, I don't ever want you to do anything you don't like, but can I ask you what's going on? And that's where sometimes they might say, well, I nearly choked once or I'm worried about the smell, I've got this, and we unpack that and then say, is there anything we can put into place that will help you do that? Because we know the studies will say things that keep people happy is just some variety. I don't mean doing the bloody Kama Sutra, okay? I just mean it's like anything. Most people like to change up some things. So, yeah. you know, maybe even if it's in a different room. So I think there's conversation to have there. And obviously we can never make someone do something we want, but there's nothing wrong with wanting what we want, if that makes sense. It's, yeah. it's trying to sort of sit with that, which can be very difficult. I've had couples break up who are in absolutely wonderful partnerships and decided their sex was not what they wanted, so they broke up, even yeah. though they really liked each other, loved each other. I guess that's a hard thing with monogamous relationships in this particular context where if you're only able to have sex with your one partner and for whatever reason there's a different Different libido, different dynamic, different needs and wants, desires and openness to exploring different things and if it's really important to you in your relationship then it does become a point of contention, I suppose. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. So you brought up their sexuality and I think I'm referring to women specifically, that there's a lot of conflicting messages sometimes that we hear and see from a variety of different sources. So whether that's from our parents, the media, our peers, social media, in, in a variety of different contexts too. And I feel like as women or people who identify as female, we are very much taught that being overtly sexual is not the greatest in the context of sort of general society. That's definitely what I got. I feel like I got as I was growing up. But then at the same time, we're exposed to so much 
in our pop culture, social media culture that is highly sexualized. Oh, it's so hard. <laughs> and then and then like we spoke about before, there's there's gender roles in terms of the dynamics, especially hetero and whole discourse that's happening. Yes around all this kind of stuff in in the media and all that sort of thing. So I want to unpack this because I think this is really important. So I'm I'm interested to know your take on what is sexuality, particularly in relation to women or perhaps people who identify as female. I mean, I feel like I feel like that is something everybody will have their own individual sort of feelings about. I used to actually get people when I used to train, I used to train doctors, nurses and run courses to talk about this and I would get them to talk about what their own sexuality was and what it was made up of and some people would be just just like telling me all sorts of things and other people it was just a purely physical thing so I suppose again it's very individual but I do think what you were saying there like I feel like we've gotten a little bit better at for example not slut shaming almost reclaiming that word slut now we definitely have that sort of thing happening but I almost feel like we've gone so far it's like now that um if you don't want sex there's something wrong with you too and I'm like no part of sex positivity is an acceptance of the fact that we are so varied in our behaviors and that we have to listen to the messages that we're getting and and it can be again like the the history the time in history your culture like at one point what is it 20 something years ago like homosexuality was still a mental illness like a scene as I mean not it that it was and 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 so it depends so now we've come through there and again this will continually change and we'll look back and probably be pretty ashamed of the way we uh looked at things but I definitely feel like it's very conflicting because there are still people who are in very conservative I'd say conservative spaces where it's taboo at home perhaps taboo at school and then they've got it all completely different in the media I mean it depends if you're in a very religious space um the, the whole uh purity culture stuff so depending mm. on how you grew up so I think it's very difficult some people do that or even motherhood motherhood can make people go all of a sudden they'll shut down they're like now I'm a mom almost like that whole Madonna whore thing that they talk about yes. the complex now I don't know how to be this person in the bedroom because I can't um, you know, make myself be different to that motherhood person or whoever that is. You know, there's, there's, it's very yeah. complex. It's so complex. That's just that's just almost like an internal perception of your own identity and that what you're talking about in terms of motherhood and being this sort of like sexual being and the, and the two almost don't go together yeah, in some yeah, ways. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, it's so, it, that's so fascinating because I do think that even men, if you're talking about hetero relationships, view women differently as well after they've had after they've had children I have definitely had clients right? who said things to me like I used to we used to get paddles out we used to do this and that and then she became my wife and she became the mother of my child I cannot do that anymore yeah and they're like what I want to do that you know it's this interesting thing of you know the roles and who they are and what this means yeah I find it so fascinating it's speaking to men too about that and it's 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 so 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 interesting and hard to switch just switch off because we do have lots of roles I suppose if you want to call that you know like what we do in the day our work or whatever it is you know whether it's paid labor unpaid labor but like it's hard people switch mm. off and they're expected to I'm surprised anyone's having sex honestly at the minute like <laughs> why that everyone's so stressed right now I know there's so much yeah. going on in the world isn't there <laughs> so how do we as women embrace our sexuality and sexual expression especially when we are being given so many conflicting ideas about sexuality I mean yeah yeah, it's so I find it very difficult as a woman to to understand what I'm not in a way allowed to show but you definitely get this narrative collective narrative or or ideology of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable and obviously Mm -hmm. you have your internal sexuality that you want to express so how do we navigate them 
by embracing what we have within us, but also in a way adhering to the social constructs of what is acceptable. Yeah. It almost feels that way. It is, I feel like this is the thing, like I talk to people about it all the time, how hard it is to navigate that space. So I'm always encouraging people to just be kinder to themselves and understand you have all these competing thoughts going on and that for a lot of us we do. And, and if I'm talking back to it, I'll refer to Emily Nagoxi's book because she used the terms breaks, breaks meaning the things that get in the way of arousal. This stuff gets in the way yeah. of arousal, you know, like the what is it? And, and understanding of breaks and being okay about that. I think a lot of people are so worried about their sexuality and what they are and who they can be and how often and oh should I be doing it more I feel like my partner's going to leave and all that that is a break just worrying about it all the time Mm. Um, but I do think you know it can be very hard if you're in a particularly long-term relationship you know you're paying the bills with them you're having all these discussions possibly children with whatever and then you're like oh okay now you want me to do this and it's like for a lot of people they find it very hard to be really I suppose again in air air quotation marks adventurous when they're going to get up in the morning and have a coffee and they're like, I can't believe you did that last night, you know, that kind of thing because they've almost got this idea of each other, of who they are, and and so that can get lost sometimes, you know, in the rest of the world, like the yeah. day-to-day activity. So, and again, everyone's going to be different. I suppose it's like trying to work out what it is that you do. Like are you doing this because the person is expected? Are you doing it because maybe you've seen some things in porn? And I'm not bashing porn at all. I'm just saying that there could be some things you've never seen and you're going, wow, that's amazing. I haven't even thought of that. But yeah. sometimes it's like are you doing that, you know, are you spectatoring and, and not really in the moment and what do you want to do kind of thing. And that can yeah. take, it's okay to not know because sometimes we're not sure. Did we just think we like that because we saw it? Yes. I suppose it's about exploring that within yourself, right? And 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 figuring and figuring that out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And everyone will be different. Yeah. And and just to acknowledge that as well, that you don't have to, again, back to the sex expectations, you don't have to be like anybody else and and really, yeah, understand yourself. Now let's talk about self-pleasure. Talking about the self. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what are the things we should know about self-pleasure? Because I, I think like you were saying before, back to sex education, this is definitely something that we did not speak about in sex education. No, no, it's, um, no. And, and even now I feel like it's a bit more of a private subject matter that perhaps is not spoken about so openly. So what do we need to know about self-pleasure? Well, I mean, self-pleasure, we talk, if we're talking about solo sex, as I'm like saying, having sex with yourself, I, I definitely, especially if people are struggling around orgasm, I usually encourage them after I've unpacked some of the reasons why they're not doing it, um, to explore their own body because you don't have the pressure of someone watching you or how long you're going to take. So if you've got some time and space to do that I highly recommend that because the pressure's off for some people that that's the way they end up realizing they can come on uh, when they're alone um but yeah for a lot of, again and, and and it's a very personal thing for some people people self-pleasure because they're bored uh some people are like oh I'm feeling frustrated whatever I want to have an orgasm I'm anxious and I want to have an orgasm uh, you know mm-hmm. um but it can be for a lot of people, it's like a really big thing. Like that, it's like a whole body ritual thing, and they'll light candles and listen to music and things like that. For others, it's a very quick, short thing, and it's like you do whatever works for you. I yeah. encourage that. For a lot of people, though, there's still many people that there's so much taboo around around that. 
Yeah, I, I, I definitely don't feel like I've heard or had many conversations about masturbation mm. or self-pleasure mm. at all. Even within my own, and this is my personal experience. Your own friendship. My own, yeah, yeah, friendship groups. I don't feel like you – you might talk about sex and, and with a partner or, or that kind of thing a bit more but not so much about your own Yes, Yes, uh, um, particularly I think cisgender women, absolutely that is something I think for – People with penises, that's often a thing where they're much more open about talking about wanking and things like that or it's more acceptable, you know. Mm. Uh, but I do know that during the pandemic, they that vibrator sales went up. I was I often uh, do commentary like when journalists ring up and stuff like that, but they, they broke, you know, they were selling out of vibrators. I think people were like you know, <laughs> at home trying different things. So we're getting better at talking about it. There's, you know, social media is allowed you know, it, vibrators almost have become mainstream, I think. And um, we know they're very helpful. They're very good at bringing blood to the um, surface, you know, the genitals, and they're quite reliable for helping people to orgasm who never have. Yeah, mm. yeah. I do, and, and I do agree that that's becoming a little bit more mainstream. I remember, mm. yeah, a little bit better. Back in the day when, you know, Sex in the City was a, a big thing and, yes, and yeah. that whole thing. The that I, yeah, the <laughs> rabbit and that and that was a big, you know, taboo for, yeah, mm-hmm, taboo mm-hmm, for um, mm-hmm. mainstream media. So, Absolutely. yeah, it is, it is getting better, which is really great. Now, mm. one of the other things that I've I've heard my girlfriends talk about this, and to be honest, I didn't really know much about it until they mentioned it to me, but... They talk about yoni eggs, <laughs> and I and I literally had no idea what it was. So, but now from my mm. research, they it seems to have a bit of well, according to what I've read, is is that they they seem to have a lot of benefits if you do use one. So, they, they and, became very popular, I think, because it was I think it was Gwyneth Paltrow. Her business is it called Goop or something oh, like Goop. that? Yeah, she, yeah, right. Look, I'm not familiar with that. Like I know who Gwyneth Paltrow is, but I'm not. But she had stuff on there about it she pardon the puns banging on about that but I do know that in 2017 those medical uh you know those the quotes or the uh, things that she said were benefit medical right. work she had to take them off because they're not really? so they're not. I just want to yeah and yeah. but she still has a very big following I think they're still up there as last I heard um, so she was touting these things that what it was, you know, they're no, they're apparently, apparently they're mm. s- supposed to help with like, you know, um, you know, your sexual health and, and there is some, uh, you'll see, or you would have seen it in your research, I'm sure that there's some Chinese, um, uh, ancient Chinese practice, but no studies have actually also, um, given evidence of that either. Yeah, right. So I think, yeah, they're, they're around, but I also think like medically in the medical world, they suggested not to use them. Look, right. I'm not anyone not to, to use them, right? But, like, I was thinking I know that, you know, one of the things, and you would have read this too then if you've done some research, you know, sometimes mm. they talk about they, they could be a bit abrasive like the jade or whatever so they could mm. bring in infection. And just like other things, I'd say, well, if you really want to do it, you could pop a condom over the top and that might help a bit. But also I think there have been some stories about, um, you know, them getting stuck up there. Obviously, you can't lose it, but some people have to present them to get that out. Yeah, that's um, not great, So is it? some people are drilling holes in them or something, and then I read somewhere about um, <gasps> using uh, non-waxy dental floss to put it through so you've got something to grab on. I mean, I'm always talking about sex play, whether it's anal play or vaginal play, to make sure you can get it out. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, look, I'm not going to say don't use it it's not my place but I wouldn't suggest it I think and I know the stuff about the kegels you would have read that yes the kegels yeah there's yeah there's so many things and I I feel like 
if 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 anyone listening doesn't know what a yoni is, because I didn't know what Google it was, it. Like, Google yeah. it. But it's it's essentially like I think they're like mostly made out of crystal, crystal. You know, like, like rose quartz, rose jade. quartz or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah, mm-hmm, obviously mm-hmm. put and it up there. Looks and, like a little leg, yeah. <laughs> right, and you can do kegels and all that kind of stuff. But it's supposed to enhance all these different mm. things. So yeah, I just was really curious as to your take on it because I yeah. just literally was like, wow, I've just never I've never heard of this. But I have definitely, yeah. yeah. But also just a warning, like I do think sometimes like people can overuse do this stuff and then you end up with tight muscles around the area so if that is happening to any of you i really recommend go see uh, pelvic pain physio they're amazing they do so much work a lot of my clients have got vaginismus and stuff like that they go to them and, and that really is helpful so that's why i talk about maybe just you know um like, again it's not my place to tell you not to do it i don't suggest them but it is yeah. completely up to you but just remember there's a lot of hype out there and she has a lot of pa- pulling power she's a white woman who's yeah, famous, right? So mm. uh, just just under just just think about that. But also, I suppose the crystal thing. There are a lot of people who love crystals and things like yeah. that. And again, I'm not saying anything. So they believe that putting that in them and helps them. And if that is what they think, but I'm just telling you that there is no no medical evidence. If you're wondering, that says that this necessarily works. You can do other things. Yeah, yeah. So do your research and make that decision yeah, for yourself. For yourself. Yeah. 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 Mm, mm, mm. All right. So let's talk about vaginas. And I think <laughs> <laughs> this is something that maybe if you have close sisters or close girlfriends, you've maybe spoken about this. I don't know. But I definitely feel like women don't seem to have the same kind of locker room culture that men do. And uh-huh. I, f- I feel like men see a lot more of other men's penises that we see other women's vaginas. And, you know, that's, that's my gathering. That's been my experience. And so in doing my research for this chat, I did come across a site actually where it's a bit like a vagina gallery. It's a a labia labia library. library. I was going to recommend that. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Where you can actually see what other vaginas look like if you, if you, I suppose, haven't. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll pop that up in the show notes. It's labialibrary.org.au. So. Because that's what you'll see. You'll see labia, not vaginas. Our vaginas are in our body. And what you're seeing is the, the vulva. So the labia and if the top, if you're looking at the top, whether it's shaved or not, is your mom's pubis. So that's what you're going to see all there. There's lovely, lovely pictures everywhere for people to look at to desensitise themselves. <laughs> desensitise. Yeah. So yeah. what do we actually need to know about, I mean, yes, you were talking about the mount, but also the labias is what actually we're talking about in terms of what we're looking at and the different forms, sizes, appearance that they come in because if women are feeling maybe a little self-conscious mm-hmm. about the appearance mm-hmm of their labia and especially when it comes to being intimate with a new partner or maybe perhaps it's after having children even or any one of these kinds of scenarios, what are your suggestions to deal with that? Look, it's, it's not uncommon. I used to quite often when I was doing most of my education, I'd always do this activity where I ask people to name all the names they'd heard of for like vagina, it was interesting that again, whenever I would see, which would always get filled up with some pretty horrific names to quite derogatory names, but often mm. they weren't even referring to the vagina. They were literally referring to the labia uh, um, or the vulva. So uh, yeah, I feel like uh, I'm, I, I'll get people to sort of talk about, are they okay to touch their own body? Do they look? Have they ever had a look? And I think when you said about Obviously, penises generally hanging out, very, it, they're very obvious to see. Now, also so are labia. Lots of people um, think that everything's tucked inside. And, yeah, some some people's are, but a lot of people aren't. It's just that 
I know many years ago when I got into this area, I even realised that there was some rules in Australia about back in the day, this is how old I am, um, we would have Cosmo, Clio and the sealed section. Even then, they were supposed to edit any part of the clitoris little labia that poked out because, you know, so really what you were seeing was not even the full... Not re- reality, edited, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even in porn, in some porn, not if you go to feminist porn or ethical porn, but they would only pick people who had um, labia that didn't protrude out, which is mm. a very common thing and often the unevenness like the rest of our bodies, but you wouldn't see that. So that's why there's all this stuff that um, this idea that that, you know, the perfect vagina or whatever mm. um, is what they used to call it, even though, again, it's not a vagina. So, yeah, I, I definitely talk about, and that's what I would recommend, the labia library. There's on Instagram, I think the Volva Gallery is another one where okay. she, I believe she's a chick, she will draw people's pictures and then they write their story about it and it's wonderful because you can see all the differences, different colours and how, you know, sometimes people's clitorises are really large, some are small, uh, uh, yeah, inner labia are uneven, they hang out, like this all, all the just the beautiful diversity. And I, I do highly recommend looking and some people can only do it for a minute and they get so freaked out they stop but the more you do it I think you realize oh and it's just because you haven't seen it yeah it's Mm -hmm. and it's surprising I feel because yeah you you literally think that if you you recall back to how many times you've seen a penis as opposed to how many times you've seen another vagina absolutely yeah just crazy yeah so highly recommend I'll pop those links up in the um, show notes so people can have a look Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now one of the things that I like to speak to all my guests about is rejection (laughs) and failure because we all experience these in life. We do, yeah. We do. So what has been your biggest rejection or failure and what have you learnt from it? Look, when you ask me that question, I think I'm nearly 49. I feel like there's been a lot. But the most recent one that comes to mind that I probably haven't really spoken about and I'm still having lots and lots of feelings about is a couple of years ago, mid-pandemic, I was um, approached by an editor who'd been watching my stuff and reading my stuff and he was all very lovely and telling me that he really, really wanted me to go uh, write um, a book proposal with him for me to write a book and, you know, banging on, sounding, you know, and I was very overwhelmed and um, freaking out and got complete, like, you know, like I can't do this imposter syndrome, da, da, da. And so we were back and forth and I had actually started writing something and I'd had clients say, I really think you need to get this stuff in a book. And I started writing back and forth and he was really excited. And then I just kept procrastinating because I was absolutely terrified that I would write a book and people would hate me or I'd get cancelled if I said the wrong word or I was Mm. terrified. So terrified that I ended up just not I stopped talking. He wrote something and said, are you, are you going to, and I just stopped. So he wow. couldn't work with me. And mm. I still, I've got other, th- you know, I'm just slowly typing away at this thing by myself, but I'm, yeah, I, I absolutely, my, so I suppose my fear of rejection, even though he obviously said, I can't do this until you finish like writing something else. I can't just do it because he had yeah. to put it there. I didn't do it. So that I messed up that thing mm. and, and I'm not having commas. And so I don't really talk to people about that, but I've been thinking about it because I'm sort of slowly writing. Yeah, yeah, because I was too scared, absolutely too scared of rejection, of like being cancelled in a public space. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) what do you feel like you've taken from that experience? Um, Well, I suppose I learned that, um, yeah, that my fears of 
you know, my perfectionism stuff, which I'm still working on. I'm on the anti-perfectionism train, but I'm still there. Um, got in the way of something when I've had other people. I've had many people talk to me about this. That he wasn't the first one, but that was the first sort of editor that it sort of approached me. Um, I don't know. I'm still actually, to be honest, I ended up going and talked to a psychologist a couple of times about it, who diagnosed me with ADHD, which procrastination is apparently a thing. So I was, I'm sort of in the middle of unpacking all of that, but I haven't really shared much about it. But yes. Yeah, um, I don't know. I just feel like I think I'm really worried that I might mess that up. Could worry about people's fears of, you know, when, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I feel like that's that's a very common fear and especially if you work in the public space or the media yeah. space where I'm you're terrified. putting your work out there, you're putting yourself out there and there's this very high level of wondering people's reaction to your work and yes like we we live in this culture now where it is like a cancel culture you, might, you literally yeah, you say one, one thing and, and yeah and you're out and it's so completely understand the fear and I think it's something that we all we all have experienced that to some degree in some context of our yeah, life yeah, you know whether yeah. you work in the public space or not now my final question for you is if you had an overarching life philosophy or a mantra that you try to live your life by what would that be I mean I kind of feel like the older I've got and especially coming out of like that global pandemic I mean sort of I suppose it's still happening but coming out of that I feel like just the one thing I'm like sure of now is that nothing certain uh, mm. all I know is that isn't that I say to my clients too right all we know really like you can't say I'm going to stay in this relationship forever I'll never leave and like really honestly you don't know anything other than we're going to die and I'm sure everybody has different feelings about where we go when we die and what happens but we're going to die at least once okay I'm saying I that's what I think um it's me personally but some of us know when we're going to die most of us don't and that's it everything else just keeps changing but going on and on and I think all I know is that part of humanity is just to keep riding riding those waves of change and that also this idea that like you can get you you know everything kind of thing that there's this all knowing like we do all these self help things and read and which I'm not they're they're wonderful I'm just saying you never get there you're always like yeah. learning something else there's like you're like oh shit I still there's still more to learn and unlearn yeah it's just that it's just I'm not going to get there I'm just gonna do that and I suppose one thing is like I always just love kindness I don't know I've always had a thing for people being kind if they can yeah, <laughs> yeah no I like that so being kind firstly as a base philosophy for life yeah. obviously is amazing but yes riding the wave of life really that, and really it, that it's just yeah. so, you can never just be happy like that is not a thing and that was sad when I finally realized that that we can't just get that's like no one is just happy all the time so we do yeah. have these highs and lows obviously some people have them more than others but that's, yeah. that's unrealistic to think that. Yeah, we never arrive anywhere. We're always no. constantly on the journey. And and I suppose, you know, in, in some ways, if you didn't have the opposite of happiness, I mean, you wouldn't know what happiness no. is. Yeah. So they're, they're you do need feelings. both, right? Yeah, yeah. You need, you and there's more, of lots of feelings, and they have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Like they're not always there. And obviously if that, there's one feeling that's always there, that's when people might need to go speak to a professional or whatever. But, Jen, like that mm. is part of humanity, which sucks really sometimes because we're obviously got to be happy all the time. You can't. Yes. We almost probably put too high expectations on ourselves to be happy all the time right. yes. in a way, don't yeah, we? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Well, this has been such an amazing chat. Thank you oh, so good. much for I joining me. <laughs> I, I feel like I've, I've, I've gotten so much from listening to your insights. So I'm sure everyone oh, listening thank you. has as well. So 
where can people find you and your amazing work? So at the moment, I'm not on any other social media. I, I, I have a whole lot of issues with that. I'm on Instagram as the Australian Sexologist and I have a website. So that's where you can book. You do not need um, to go to your doctor or anything. Uh, you can self-refer and that's on my website, which is www.naomihutchings.com. Oh, now it's .com.au actually, I think. <laughs> yeah, .com.au. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, tell us what you loved and learnt from this episode guys by leaving a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. Make sure you screenshot this episode and tag us, share it to your socials. Thank you again so much for joining me, Naomi. And thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Rage Active Podcast. <laughs>